Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Morning, Matt. Morning. It's, uh, yeah. It's, it's going to be a warm day today, it's so gonna it's going to be nice a warm day. To, uh, it is nice to get up early and it is gonna be, be a warm fresh. Day. And it's the second day, second day of a new year as well. It is. That's yeah, right. My goodness me. Uh, the years go by fast. I remember going to see the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey with my dad and yeah. thinking we are never going to get there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and here we are now and That's it's, right. it's 2023. It's yeah, crazy. we were telling the kids the other day about, remember the, the TV program Towards 2000? Yes. It was all about, you Documentary know, of future inventions yeah, and yeah. things. And, and then they changed it to Beyond 2000. That's right. It's yeah. like we are in the future. That's right. Yeah. You know. Anyway, here we are in the future, and we're going to be talking about the prophet just, Isaiah. Who, I think we just showed our age there, Yeah, I think you? we did. Anyway, that, that's why I was trying to move on, Matt. <laughs> Where are we up to? We're, we're on to someone else who, who's been speaking into the future, Isaiah. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. uh, and we are uh, Thrive Deeper, episode 162, and we're picking up our journey through the book of Isaiah, and um, in our last episode, we got up to Isaiah chapter 29. Um, mm. And of course, background again for Isaiah. This is a, Isaiah was a prophet who lived in Jerusalem in the latter part of the two kingdom period, where Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And his um, prophetic words were largely to the Jerusalem people and the, and the leaders of Judah, but also spoke to what was happening in Israel as well. And as we've journeyed through, we've seen uh, Isaiah talk a lot about and pro- prophesy a lot about the judgment that was coming on Israel and then mm. subsequently to come on Judah, but interlaced with this these, in, these incredible passages also of great hope for the future. And as we ended in Isaiah 29, we saw again through Isaiah, God was warning uh, the people that there would be a military crisis and judgment coming upon Jerusalem. And this was because of the people's kind of spiritual insensitivity, their hypo- religious hypocrisy, their unwillingness to really trust their destiny to God. They wanted to take matters into their own hands. And and so Isaiah's, uh, again, prophesying into the future of what judgment will be. And we see a number of oracles of Isaiah as we work through these books as he looks at not just the judgment on Jerusalem and Judah, but also on the, on the surrounding nations. So mm. let's kick in at Isaiah 30. Yeah, chapter 30. Uh, at this stage, it's evident there's fairly strong historical background to this material. Mm. Evidently, Assyria, this is kind of crisis time we get to now, really, yeah. once we're yeah. up to chapter 30. Evidently, the Assyrians have pretty much destroyed everything. No one's been able to stand against the Assyrians. This is a crisis moment mm. now. And it seems that what has happened because Isaiah here says starts the chapter woe to the obstinate children declares the Lord those who carry out plans that are not mine mm. forming an alliance but not by my spirit heaping sin upon sin who go down to Egypt without consulting me mm. look for help to Pharaoh's protection to Egypt's shade for refuge this is a big theme throughout the book isn't it Stu? Yeah, it like is. this theme of who are you going to trust in in a way as I've gone through this whole first half of Isaiah uh, which is Isaiah 1 to 39, which yep. is pretty much a clean block. Yeah. It's That is the consistent message yeah. through the whole thing. Even the stuff about idolatry really is about who you tr- who are you trusting in. Yes. Uh, because they're feeling like, oh, we really need to keep these local deities happy. And, and now the big issue is foreign alliances. Mm. And you can see why they feel they need this because no one's – you've got these – 
smaller nation states just toppling one after another. Yeah. And the tsunami, a Syrian tsunami, so to speak, is is bearing down upon you. It's interesting that though here, given that, given that there is such a strong historical background to these oracles, that he doesn't actually mention Hezekiah. Hezekiah, who is the king right now, isn't yeah. the one necessarily rebuked. Mm. A good guess for why that may be is that probably uh, Hezekiah's officials there's probably been a bit of a disagreement and and you wouldn't look you know Hezekiah's certainly not depicted as the ideal no. king as we'll see yeah, uh, a little further on is is far from it i mm. mean he has a but overall the assessment that is given of him in in kings and chronicles is positive yeah. uh, assessment you know he is a, he is a man of faith of course with with lapses of faith and you wouldn't put it beyond him to have a lapse of faith at this point mm. but it's interesting that he's not yeah. he's actually no, not mentioned point. and yeah. and often the kings are called to account really here. But mm-hmm. it may be that his officials have actually sent off envoys uh, because he, the fact that he says, woe to the obstinate children, yeah. you know, there's this sense where the king is like the father of the nation and, and, you know, the kids have rebelled. I think that may be what's going on here. So they've sent these envoys off. To Egypt? Yeah, to Egypt. This is, you know, th- this is a big problem because in moments of crisis, the first thing God wants us to do is to come yeah, to him, him and consult yeah. him. God, what you know? What do you want us to do here? Mm. And and no doubt, and you get the sense that they've also had some false prophets. Yes, you know, yep. in the background, just saying, yeah, 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 do that. Egypt is going to save you, or, or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. You, because that's certainly a theme. That's a theme there, as well. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. So, uh, so that's the that's you know uh, behind this. Uh, this oracle to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit. And they down in um, it's interesting. Stu down in verse seven, he has this uh, this oracle here, which is directed to Egypt. Yeah. And I quote: "Whose help is utterly useless. Mm. Therefore, I call her Rahab, the do, the do nothing. Rahab is sort of this mythical kind of creature associated with the forces of chaos. You know, the ultimate kind of power. And and um, and Egypt is kind of associated, yeah. you know, with with Rahab. But th- now it's just, he's he's saying no, they're going to be Rahab, the do nothing. And that's exa- in fact that- exactly." Uh, Egypt proves completely useless yes, yeah. uh, in this situation. In fact, Egypt is referred to as a as a splintered staff yes. that's going to injure the one that leans on it, and yeah. that's yeah. pretty much what happens. You know. By the Assyrians, actually, were the ones who made that declaration about Egypt, so they knew they could yeah, yeah, see that yeah, in that's Egypt right. themselves. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah that's that's exactly right. So yeah. that's what they uh, end up being. Um, and again, you know, you've got this this promise here, and it's interesting, Stu, because what. God promises now in the light of this impending disaster is actually exactly what happens. Yes. And we're going to, rev- you know, we're going to revisit that, that amazing story of the siege of Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Yeah. In, the, in Hezekiah's um, time that is told in Kings and Chronicles. But it's really interesting to look at it in the light of Isaiah, particularly Isaiah's yeah. prophecies. Yeah. And, uh, and even the fact that Isaiah promises here, he says um, in verse 18, of uh, chapter 30 yet the lord longs to be gracious to you therefore mm. he will rise up and show you compassion for the lord is a god of justice mm. blessed are all who wait for him he says uh and it's kind of right in the middle of this massive kind of oracle on destruction really and, yeah, that's and, right. and fleeing and then there's this this one verse yeah, in yeah. our context yeah, it, it kind of says, like, but hey all you have to do God's waiting. That's know, right to it's, to show His mercy and His compassion. It's and, so beautiful. Yeah. Verse nineteen: People of Zion, 
who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. Mm. How gracious he will be mm. when you cry for help. Mm. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Now, as, we, as we'll see, that's exactly what happens, happens. when, uh, you know, when Hezekiah pulls himself together, having already once paid off the... Now, I'd, we're not sure exactly where this sits. This may be just before that. Yes. Uh, this may be while they're still coming. Yeah. But, uh, but certainly he pays them off first. Mm. We know that. And then they withdraw. And, and come back. Uh, but then they, that doesn't work. You know, it come, yeah. comes back. So he certainly has these lapses of faith mm. uh, because, you know, we're told that he strips the temple and, and all of this and he takes right. all of the gold out of there and he gives it all to the king, you know, king of Assyria, which is like this symbolic. That's what we um, know from the book of Kings. Mm. It's uh, like paying tribute, really. Yeah, he's it? paying so tribute, you know. will become a subject to. But at such great cost. Yeah. And, and oh. even the symbolism of stripping the temple of yeah. its gold. Yeah. To give to this king, mm. when God is saying, "Guys, mm. I, I'm I, I'll help you. Like yeah. as soon as you call, I'll, I'll answer you." And it's interesting that his his lapse of faith doesn't disqualify him from when he does. No, that's right. You know, it, it's yeah. like that. Just they come back, you know, and then he cries out to God, and God doesn't because you'd expect God to say, "Well, hey." Yeah, I, I gave you the opportunity, but hey, you missed it, so mm. off you go. Mm. That's our God is not a God that does that, and it's so beautifully portrayed in this story uh, through Hezekiah's lapses of faith. Yeah, and I think that's something we can often do too. Oh, I can't go to God. Yeah, now. I, can't I can't go, go back to God, to yeah. God now. I've, yeah. I've, I've, you know, I've left it to this point, or I've done all these things, and I, you know, God's not going to accept me now. But He will, and He's sitting there waiting. You know, yeah. and, and, and as we see here, it's if only you would, then I yeah. will. You know? Yes, yeah. you know, strong language here because, yeah. uh, you know, God promises that that He's going to destroy Assyria, which of course, as we yeah. know, uh, He does in one one big swoop. Mm. He says, the voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria. He will, uh, with his rod, he will strike them down. And he goes on to say, interesting language here, he says, Topheth has long been prepared. Topheth is a, um, a spot in the a valley of Ben-Hinnom where, uh, where sacrifices actually, where a lot of child sacrifices right. were made. And, uh, and the valley of Ben-Hinnom, the valley of Gehenna, uh, as, it's, as it's known uh, also, is the word Gehenna becomes the word actually that's used essentially for hell. Oh right, uh, you know, and, and Topheth is like the is, is kind of like the center point there. So uh, Topheth has long been prepared; it has been made ready for the king. Its fire pit has been made deep and wide with an abundance of fire and with the breath of the Lord, like a stream of burning sulphur sets it ablaze. Mm. So you start getting that kind of imagery, and, yeah. and you know that sort of apocalyptic uh, judgment imagery that's associated with hell. Again, yeah. that symbolic imagery. Let's not let's yeah. get rid of all the Greek mythology and stuff that that has. That has been added to mm. sort of the, this idea uh, of judgment, mm. uh, but yeah, certainly uh, this you know idea of fire and burning sulfur and associated with the judgment of God really that starts with in Isaiah. Uh, he goes back to you know the, this Egypt thing. You know, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help who rely on horses who trust in the multitude yeah. of their chariots and the great strength of their horsemen. Uh, interestingly, uh, in Deuteronomy in the law for kings, kings were forbidden. They were forbidden that the sort of the, the luxury of having lots of horses and you know right. to, to you know the large cavalry and and so you think why why would they why would this be and, yeah. and it's you know and again you know God wants them to trust in Him yeah dependence <clears throat> and it's a theme in the Psalms you know that, that, that you know trusting in strong horses and yeah. so forth and so you know it's interesting that you know Jesus in the light of that 
the king should not amass many war horses and so forth. Mm. You know, that when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he doesn't come on a war horse because, mm. the, the, you know, the, the, that procession is, is a very Roman sort of thing. They knew yeah. that from the Roman Empire, but they would ride in on their war horses. Mm. So you have Jesus riding in in procession, but he's on a donkey. donkey yeah. So he's, you know, he's keeping this, uh, you know, this law of, of, of Deuteronomy in that sense. But here, yeah. um, you know, here they're relying on the horses and, uh, and, and the chariots of, of Egypt. And so you get this picture of them just not, just turning the wrong way yeah. in their crisis. Yep. And, uh, you know, crises can be moments where we can profoundly experience God's faithfulness, which eventually happens, but it's, mm. uh, you know, it's not for a while here. Mm. Um, and you can understand, I mean, these guys were f- were fearful. I mean, it's, it's easy for us to look back now and go, oh, what's wrong with them? But, you know, how many times have, have we been in the place of, of uh, perhaps fear or anx- anxiety and tried everything else before yeah. we've actually gone and yeah. taken it to the Lord and kind of gone, hey. Yeah. So you can you can understand uh, where they're at, but again, with Isaiah speaking into this and saying, turn back to the one who can save you, yeah. uh, the people just wouldn't listen. You know? Yeah. Of course, in the light, interestingly, here it's too, Stu, in the, in the light of Hezekiah's sort of lapses of faith. Yeah. You know, Hezekiah would have been the one that they would have understand understood as being the fulfilment of Isaiah seven fourteen, uh, the the virgin or the young woman will yes. you know will give birth, birth to a child yep. and he he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Mm. That child would have been child to the royal household, most probably Hezekiah, and certainly probably would have been understood to have been yeah, Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Yeah. But you know, Hezekiah doesn't. In a way, Hezekiah and Hezekiah's faith and what God does through Hezekiah, this this salvation, um, and this. Amazing demonstration that God is with His people. That yeah. certainly in Hezekiah's time, mm. that gets demonstrated. And yet Hezekiah is is he is not quite the ideal king. You know, mm. so you get these uh, at the start of thirty two here, and it says, "See, a king will reign in righteousness." Well, just before we move on, at the end of thirty one, obviously yeah. that's where he talks. You know, again that message of hope, where Isaiah talks about the fact that Assyria yeah. is going to fall, yeah. and God is going to judge Assyria. Yeah. And so, he, again, in, in, interspersed between these oracles of kind of judgment, there's this return to the one the Israelites have greatly rebelled against. For on that day, each one will reject the silver and the gold, the idols that your own hands have sinfully made, and then Assyria will fall. Yeah, and well, then, it's it says by no human sort. Yeah, I mean, this is right. an interesting exactly. prediction. Then they're going to fall. So by, we're not going to no win hu- in victory. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, a sword not of mortals will devour them. Now yeah. again, that's exactly what happens. Exactly. Yeah. So there, there, there's this. There is this view, classic, you know, classic feature of the Book of Isaiah throughout this sort of double kind of view, mm. this classic prophetic view where you're looking at a historical circumstance, but the situation becomes symbolic of something beyond, beyond that. Yeah. You know, it's it's a, um, of course, you know, where I think you pointed out in a previous episode, the way we view time, you know, is, is different to the way God views time. And there's a sense in which the prophetic view matches God's view in that, in that like events can be conflated together. Yes. Um, yep. You know, moments of great salvation can symbolize, uh, you know, can symbolize times up in the future, and and so you have, you have prophecy, Hezekiah, yeah, you have prophecy to the imminent future, but you also yeah. have prophetic word into the distant. future. Yeah, but the imminent future stands as a sort of prefiguration, yes, of the distant of what's future. What's going to come? And so Hezekiah as a king sort of prefigures 
an ultimate ideal king. And this yeah. is a big theme right through the book of Isaiah, mm. is this ideal king that's going, that's going to come. Uh, and so you get this, uh, you get this here uh, again, and he points to this time of salvation. And he says, then the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed and the ears of those uh, who hear will listen. The fearful heart will know and understand. The stammering tongue yeah. uh, will be fluent and clear. And so this is a... This is a, a reversal of what was prophesied earlier about, you know, they will be ever hearing, but never, you know, yes. uh, in uh, Isaiah chapter six, where he says the result of your ministry is actually going to be the hardening of hearts and the closing of eyes. No one's going to listen. Yep. That's right. But no this is pointing listen. to a time actually, and, and, and this is where I think this is pointing to a time beyond even this time, because this mm. is a time uh, when uh, the eyes of those uh, who see will no longer be closed. And so it's, it's pointing beyond that particular yep. Uh, and we're at period. Isaiah 32 now, listeners, just for where we're up to, just we're, we're, we're sort of working through just the start of Isaiah 32. Mm. And then he goes into this passage where he's kind of speaking, you know, stand up, you complacent women, listen to mm. me. He's really looking for the people to mourn what's yeah. going to come. It sort of changes back to perhaps the imminent future. And it's like the sense of mourning, yeah. you know, the, the loss that's coming. It, it may well be that. The actual background to this is that there's a, perhaps a harvest festival and they're all celebrating, having yeah. a great time. Right. And Isaiah is saying, what are you doing? <laughs> doing. Yeah. You know, within a year, you're going to be like mm. disaster is bearing down upon us. Yeah. So come on, let's, we, we should be repenting and mourning here. So that's a bit of a picture of So this of is now, this, this, this bit in the narrative here is now after the initial yes yes where where god has uh defeated the assyrians yeah so he, this is in this this year beyond that um really before ultimately judah does fall so this is kind of the sense of it's coming still even though god has um restored mm. in the imminent so yeah the the uh, the timing is of these oracles uh, it, it sort of jumps back and forwards yeah. uh, yep. a, a little bit. Yeah, um, that's good. In uh, chapter thirty-three, we're probably in in a time after he's now paid off uh, the Assyrians. Assyrians. Yep. They have withdrawn, but that's not quite the answer. No, uh, yep. you know they're they're going to come back, mm. and so so Isaiah brings these prophecies against uh, against Assyria, mm. saying again, you know, the Lord. Lord, be gracious to you. We long for you. Uh, but uh, be our strength every morning, our salvation in times of distress. That's kind of a model prayer, yeah. really, isn't it? It's, it's, he's kind yeah, of really right. trying to say, people, this yeah. is what we should be doing, you know, and yeah. models this prayer for the people uh, yeah, at that's the right. same time as this warning against the destroyer that God has appointed to come, the yeah. Assyrians, to say, you, you know, you're, also, you're, you know, you're destined for destruction yeah, as well. that's right. Yeah. So, um, so they do come back. This is the this is the thing they don't that uh, they're paid off an enormous amount. I yeah. mean that they are uh, it's it's a enormous act of betrayal in one sense because they have it's, and this is what he says here: Woe to you, destroyer! You you who have not been destroyed. Woe to you, betrayer! You who have not been betrayed. Yeah. Uh, you know when you stop destroying, you'll be destroyed. When you stop betraying, you'll be betrayed. And the idea here is that they they have received all of this. This massive payoff, mm. but they just come back. Uh, it, it's it, they you know it's 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 all a complete lie. Now we're about to. If people want to refer back to that story where 
where that happened. Uh, Matt, have you got that handy? I haven't got that in front of me there in Kings. Um, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, two Kings, two Kings 18, 18, 19. 18, yeah. 19 and 20, yeah. somewhere around there on your yeah. Great. So, uh, so they do come back and, and there are these oracles against, you know, in preparation, you know, Isaiah is bringing these oracles against not only Assyria, but the nations. nations. So, so the, there is this reminder almost just as they're, uh, as they're on their way. In chapters 34 and 35, there are, again, this reminder that God is sovereign over all of the nations. This is a God who is completely sovereign over world powers. And they're going to need to know this as this army's marching down on them, that Mm. we're trusting in a God here who is completely sovereign over this situation. Mm. Because it would have been, you know, I mean, a formidable force Mm. and absolutely, absolutely terrifying. But the sense that you get here is that there's something way more terrifying than them. And that is, uh, you know, and that is the vengeance of God, God. the judgment yep. of God, and and so this is depicted in in apocalyptic language. Mm. You know, all the stars in the sky will be dissolved, the heavens rolled up like a scroll, all the starry hosts will fall. You know, like withered leaves. I mean, this classic apop apocalyptic language that describes the fall of kingdoms. Right. So again, it's important to to note it's not. This is not describing. Uh, when this sort of language is used, it's not describing the end of the the space time universe as such. Right. Okay. Uh, it's it's describing well, uh, you know, it's describing in apocalyptic terms the catastrophe of the fall of nations. nations. And again, I think, in a way, this is uh, the fall of these nations. Again, with as that double view of Isaiah, there is this looking forward to the ultimate destruction of the anti-God world system yep. uh, as such. And so that's where so you So you don't think, Matt, in that, in that little bit there, particularly all the heavenly bodies, will just, the skies will roll up? Because reading then into the beginning of um, chapter 34, verse 5, yeah. when my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens, you yeah. don't think there's some spiritual opposition potentially mm. to God's direction here in terms of rescuing his people where there's a, a bit of a battle going on in the heavenlies as well? Mm. And this is kind of <clears throat> Isaiah... Recognizing that through the through this prophecy, possibly, oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, I think yeah. that's the case, and that and that's where this bigger view is important because because in the book of Revelation, the, the Babylon when when the prophecy is or the declaration that Babylon has fallen, you know, it talks about Babylon's being a haunt for evil spirits, and so you sense right. that yeah, yeah. it's it's pictured very much in in those spiritual terms. It's it's so uh, this isn't just a battle in worldly sense. This is a much bigger yeah yeah. Battle. As Paul says in yeah. Ephesians six, we're, you know, a battle is not against, against flesh and blood, blood. Yep. but against the principalities and powers. And yep. uh, so and this power. isn't just God intervening at a at a kind of a human level. There's a whole spiritual yeah. There's dimension a whole spiritual dimension well. and. That 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 almost would have been assumed in yes. this you know yes. in this context because wars are understood as as being gods God against, against gods. God. Now yeah. now you know we should hasten to say that that you know throughout the, the Old Testament God is completely distinguished from these other gods who are mm. sort of these territorial spirits. And in fact, it's it's said even through Isaiah they're not gods at all. They're actually nothing. And in fact, the idols and they're just pieces of wood. They're empty pieces of wood. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily deny the fact that there is a spiritual Rich. realm yep. and there there is a sp- kind of spiritual struggle in some sense. Uh, but they're not the ones that you struggle. They're not gods. No, that's the key thing. They're yep. not gods. They don't have that. They don't have that power. Now, again, it doesn't address it doesn't address it in any depth. But yes, I think it is sitting behind here, and certainly in this bigger view, Isaiah is predicting a judgment that is a cosmic judgment, yes. essentially. Yeah. Um, and so, 
that that I think is behind why that language is actually used. All the stars in the sky will be dissolved and the heavens rolled up like mm. a scroll. So the s- stars are often associated with spiritual beings in the ancient world. And so there's this sense of, you know, like the star, often this language, the, you know, stars falling from the sky is also used in, in Isaiah. Yeah. Okay. And so I think that that's an allusion to no, that's sort of that spiritual element. It, it's interesting too that, uh, in the la- in the second part of chapter thirty four, has this uh, sense of you know the kingdoms of the earth now become uh, inhabited by animals, and this the, mm. you know the, the sense there you know the desert owl and the screech owl will possess it, the great owl and the raven will nest there, and and the idea I mean that's you know that's depicting how desolate it will actually become, but there's almost this sense here that you people have been found unworthy. To dwell in the land, I'm going to bring in the creatures animals. that are worthy, that are <laughs> yeah. way more worthy yeah. than you, yep. and they're going to live in your kingdom, in your place. Yeah, you know, yeah. in in the light of the sort of create creation picture of of Genesis chapter one, that the animals replacing humans there is a is a powerful uh, picture of, yeah. of judgment. And even towards the end of that, it's very specific. Not one of them will be missing. None will be lacking its mate. Because he, is, he, he has ordered it by my mouth and he will gather them by his spirit. He's talking about the animals here, the yeah. birds and, and, and the likes. So Edom, the judgment of Edom, which is mentioned here, is mm. really about the judgment of the nations, really. That's yeah. what, what's being referred to here. Yeah. Um, the significance of Edom, too, they're the, they're the descendants of Esau. Mm. And the, the conflict between Esau and Jacob is a, is a, is a picture that runs right through True. the Bible. So yeah. you, you sense Edom gets a bit of bit of... <laughs> they get the rough end of the yes, stick yeah. uh, in prophecy. I mean, they really do. But it's also it's also partly what they symbolise. So you know, Romans chapter nine, which you know Paul quotes the verse in Malachi, uh, which says, "Jacob I've loved, but Esau yes. I've hated." And and in Malachi, where where it says that Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated, he's not talking about individual people. Mm. He's talking about nations, nations yeah. and particularly what those nations stand for. So Jacob is, you know, mm. is is a symbol of is is God's covenant people and in that context and Esau is this uh, the symbol of, of the nations kind of opposing, uh, opposed, opposing them, you know, yeah. opposing them. Uh, so in that's that, that's like so that's why that's why you you know I think Edom is but also the fact that you know Edom was an arch enemy as well. Uh, yeah. in, in a very important way. Interestingly, too, I mean, the land of Eden, you know, talk about being inhabited, by, uh, and I've said this before, you know, inhabited by animals. Of course, uh, the, the, the key area in Eden is what is now Petra, which is basically, it's one of the most amazing places I've ever been in all, all of my travel. It's like this city of tombs built into the mountain. It's the most, it's, there's a, it's, it's a hauntingly beautiful place, but it's quite hauntingly so, yeah, right. you know, because it's, uh, yeah, it's, all of these ruins and and these tombs built it just all over the place. It's 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 like this as it's the city of the dead. It mm. really is an amazing place. Wow. Uh, and so whenever I read those prophecies, I think, man, as I've walked through Petra, you think, yep, yeah, this is exactly yeah. how it ended up. In in chapter thirty five, and and this is the chapter that leads into you know into this uh, amazing story that sort of finishes this first half uh, of the book of Isaiah. Yeah. In in which you know, in which all of this this prophetic material is really vindicated in a very powerful way. You know, again here you, you get these promises when God's people turn to Him. There's going to be you know, th- these amazing things are going to happen. And it says down in verse five, it says then the again like in the yes. previous chapter, then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, 
Uh, the lame will leap like a deer. The mute mm-hmm. tongue will shout for joy. I don't know if you remember in uh, in Matthew chapter eleven, th- there's account an account of when uh, John the Baptist is in prison and he's a little confused about uh, about whether is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he not? We don't quite know what's going on with John the Baptist, but he does send uh, his disciples to Jesus to ask, "Are you the one who was to come?" Or I mean, which is interesting in. in in the light of the fact that previously John the Baptist was quite sure. Yes, yeah. But now he's just not quite sure because, as was the case with everyone, Jesus wasn't quite the Messiah that, they expected. that anyone really expected. And uh, and so Jesus quotes this verse. This is what, you know, in this sort of veiled, this veiled kind of answer, mm. cryptic answer, you know, he says, go and report to John. Uh, the eyes of the blind are open, the deaf hear, the, you know, and he quotes this verse in Isaiah. Because, of course, Isaiah is predicting a time, again, beyond just this, uh, when God will you know, dramatically bring an act of salvation and a, and a defeat of God's enemies, uh, in, in a way, very similar to what he did in the time of Hezekiah. In one night, bang, yeah. the enemy is decisively defeated by the sword of you know, the, angel, the angel of the Lord, mm. but in Christ's case, of course, it was yeah. in on that you know that one Good Friday night That's when it right. was actually you know he was the one that suffered the sword in yes. our place. Yes. So you know, amazing links. I, I just find all these amazing links, uh, you know, with Isaiah and, uh, yeah. and 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 the New Testament, and of course, you know, Isaiah's uh, you know quoted from more than just about any, anything else uh, in in the New Testament. So we come now, Stu, to chapter 36 and the story of Sennacherib's uh, attack on Jerusalem yep. uh, comes Sennacherib is the uh, Assyrian uh, the, the Assyrian who, who comes up against the walls of Jerusalem and uh, and lays siege to the city this event this event is so significant for the history of Israel it's recorded here in Isaiah and, and there's a good reason why it's recorded here in Isaiah as well it's recorded in Kings it's recorded in Chronicles there's also possibly an allusion uh, to this in uh, Herodotus uh, the famous uh, ancient Greek historian records a part of Egyptian history that seems that alludes to this moment when all the armies came up against and and a and and such and such went into the temple and and prayed and and then there was a plague of mice or something he says okay. you know and I think it's sort of a garbled version of this because he ascribes it to the Egyptians and the right. Egyptians went to the Egyptian temple and okay. yeah, not yep. quite but you know um, now of course Herodotus is, is writing about this much uh, much later so a lot of people think that that's a sort of a garbled version of of this you know of this event. What's interesting uh, about this, and we covered this in our episode on Kings, Kings. Uh, we covered this to some extent, the the importance of of this being included in Isaiah is because Isaiah is the prophet uh, at the time. In fact, in in Chronicles, when the, the chronicler is chronicling these events, he footnotes, he says the other, all these other things are recorded in, in the book of Isaiah, essentially the the writings of Isaiah. So Isaiah is, is the one really that's, or Isaiah's um, scribe is the one that's keeping record of all of these events. Yes. So, so the, the writer of Kings and, and and the writer of Chronicles are probably getting this from the, the, these records that, that have been um, kept, that have been kept. But for Isaiah, this is the ultimate vindication of everything that he's been saying. Mm. This is why Mm. this is recorded here. uh, Because 
it, it fulfills everything that Isaiah has talked about, which is important because in this whole second half of Isaiah, Isaiah is going to be pointing, speaking to the exiles, and, and we'll talk about that, yes. how that can be um, yep. in the next episode. But he's pointing to a time further future again. Yes. And it's like, well, how can we know that such an impossible act of deliverance could happen? Yeah. Uh, well, you because know, it's the, happened here. Because it's happened here. Yeah. You know, so that it's like the whole trajectory of the first part of Isaiah culminating in this amazing event mm. of the destruction of the Assyrians, no less. I mean, goodness, in in a in a way sets up for the whole second yeah, half uh, of the book of Isaiah. So so Sennacherib comes with his army. So just before we jump in there, just a point to note, because I, I got a little confused when I was reading through 36, 37, then 38, 39. Yeah. The 36 starts within the 14th year of King Hezekiah, and you might recall from our study through the book of Kings. Uh, People will have memorized that. Yeah. yeah. Hezekiah went and asked, well, he was told he was going to die of an illness, and we'll come yeah. to that later yeah. in Isaiah. And he went and he got, God promised him 15 more years of life. Yeah. So we kind of know where this sits. And then the, the chapter uh, 38 is basically the, the bit prior to this, where it yeah, recalls right. Hezekiah's illness. So this is during this last that's 15 correct. years. That's yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. So it's in the. And, and there's years. a reason why it's narrated. Like that, uh, in in that order. We'll 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 talk about that that in a moment. Um, But so Sennacherib comes up to the walls and the speech uh, of the field commander of of mm. uh, of Sennacherib, uh, it's it's actually the field commander that comes uh, comes to the to the walls, and the speech is is interesting because it it is it's it's very much like the uh, what Satan says, what the serpent says to oh, Eve is, yeah. in Genesis in Genesis chapter three. Yeah. There's a striking similarity mm. between this. This is where there's just something. There's almost there's something demonic about this yeah. in the way that it it seems to allude to the very things that Isaiah has said. This un- seeks to undermine, like mm. very deliberately and pointedly, to undermine all of those things. Yeah. Like you know, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? I mean, I, I you know, we've just had you know thirty five chapters yeah. of yeah. Isaiah saying you know you can have confidence. Mm. Uh, you know, on whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand mm. of anyone who leans on it. Uh, such is the Pharaoh king of Egypt and all who depend on it. So that's that's their weak link. Yep. Uh, you know, so he's delivering that news. No, guys, Egypt's I've got some it. news for you. Uh, yep. Egypt's not coming. Um, and that, you know, again, for a lot of people in the city, Egypt hasn't come. We're done for. They would have, most people would have seen Egypt as their their final hope. So here he is in their hearing, speaking Hebrew, mm. uh, mind you, as we learn exactly. later on, so yes. that they can all understand. Saying, well, hey. because there were lots of people from the you know the general public, for want of a better word, yeah. in the walls listening to what was being, and he was trying to. It was kind of a bit of an act of terrorism. He was really trying to instill fear yeah, that's in right. the people, so they would rebel yeah. against whatever the leaders said, even if the leaders decided to stay. True to God's yeah. call. He was trying to get the people yeah. to rise up against. Yeah, so. that's right. But then he goes on to say in verse 7, where you were heading yeah. next. If you say, we yeah. are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying, to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar? Now, that is a really twisted. It's it's interesting because here's a situation where, where Hezekiah has done this. Yes. He's pulled down the altars of false gods. Well, false altars, but they were altars actually that some of the people would they would have been in high places mm. and and some people would have thought this is the way we need to worship the Lord as well. And Hezekiah pulled those down because this is not the way that and, and so he's appealing 
you know, and this yeah. demonic appeal to the doubts that would have, oh. You well, know. partial truth is almost more dangerous than yeah. that right lie, isn't Yeah, it? that's yeah. right. And that's what he's kind of trying to do here to some degree, perhaps, you know. Yeah, pulling down the altars of, even the altars of foreign gods, they would have mm. thought, oh, man, we're, that, yeah. that would have instilled fear. Like, yeah. is is God really going to save it from these gods? You know, mm. I mean, because mm. they're really afraid. Uh, you know, they're fearing Baal and Ashtoreth and these other gods. Mm. Um, and here comes the this Assyrian saying, hey, you're done for because Hezekiah pulled down all these altars. I mean, that really would have... Um, and, and he's saying that this is the twist, mm. that, you know, these the, altars exactly. of God, you know, of, of, of your God. Well, uh, that, that just muddies yeah. the waters a bit yeah. there. Well, because later he wants to say... And your God's commanding me to come and destroy you. It's like, yeah. you know, that he gets to that a little later yeah, in, this, that's right. in this narrative. Yeah, that's right. So he says, uh, come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria, mm. which is the exact thing that so much of so many prophecies of Isaiah have been against. Don't make bargains with these nations, right? Mm. Don't mm. compromise. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing is Hezekiah had already done that and they just came back. There was yes. a complete betrayal. Yeah. Uh, and then he says, "I will give you two thousand horses uh, if you can put riders on them." Just you know, facetious. Again, kind of. he's offering the very thing yeah. that uh, that the book of you know De- Deuteronomy seventeen in the Charter for Kings says: kings shall not amass you know great numbers of horses. So he's mm. saying, "I'm going to give you. I'll give you this." Mm. You know, it's almost like let's yeah. even this up a bit. I'll give you two if you can put riders on them. But even then, you're not going to yeah. be able to defeat. Even if I gave you yeah, that, that's you're right. still not going to be able yeah. to defeat. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then he yeah. says, "The Lord Himself told me to march yeah. against this country and destroy it," yeah. which again is is this twisted. It's this demonic twisting of the truth because mm. Isaiah had described Assyria as a tool mm. in the Lord's hand. Yeah, maybe they had got wind of this, mm. and a bit like you and said, had gone be- to their heads. Yeah, possibly, and a bit like you said before when Satan said to Eve, "Did not God say?" Yeah, uh, that's exactly. Yeah, and so. You know, so, and, and of course, the the Assyrians are castigated for their pride. You know, you have these oracles of of Isaiah, just you know, going at their pride, their pride, their pride, saying, "Yes, you're a, you're a tool in my hand, but woe to that! That's know, right. Woe to that! Uh, the instrument of you my think judgment. It's you who's making this happen? It's you know, actually me. Yeah. Whereas he's all high, you know, high and mighty here and saying, yeah. well, "Hey, the Lord, you know, it's the Lord that told me to march against this country." Yeah. Uh, and so again, there just it's this muddying of the water. It's going to appeal to their, you know, their every doubts. He's just going to get in there and and. It's just, uh, it's, as I said, it's quite demonic. So he says, uh, he, he then goes on to say, um, they say, hey, speak in Aramaic, speak to us in Aramaic and not in the hearing of the people. But of course, uh, the field commander keeps speaking Hebrew because he, he does want everyone because mm. fear is one of their main weapons, really. And then the commander goes on and he says, do not let Hezekiah to persuade you to trust in the Lord. Uh, when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us, this city will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Of course, that's what Isaiah uh, had been saying. And then, you know, he says, do not listen to Isaiah, make peace with me, come Hezekiah. out yep. uh, with Hezekiah, sorry. Yep. Uh, each of you will eat from the fruit of your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own system until I come and take you to a land like your own. So this is, it's this, uh, listen to me and I'll come and take, it, it's got this Genesis 3, you know, they were cast out of the garden it's the very reverse, you know, the promised land was was to be a kind of a new provisional Garden of Eden space, you and know, I'm where God take would you dwell out among his people, you know, uh, make a deal with me, I'll, I'll take you, you know, out. I'll take you out to another land. It's, it's a complete yeah. reversal of um, God's plan, uh, of everything, yeah. 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 So, it's it's interesting the way that this is all 
then he uh, warns friend. again not to not to listen to Hezekiah. Don't let him mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Yeah. You know, and then he, he makes the assumption: has any of the other gods of the nations yeah. delivered? So this is the moment, yeah. of course, when you know when when Hezekiah, for all of his lapses of faith, and in a way, he's got there's nothing else he can do really now anyway, apart from capitulate. Yeah. And and give the city over to uh, to the Assyrian general, but you know, but Isaiah has been giving them these promises, and this shows that actually, for once, someone is actually listening to one of these prophets. And the point here is that when you do listen and you respond and you trust, amazing things happen. Yes, yeah. Happen um, even through all of that. That's right. Period of you know disobedience and not listening and. At this one moment, as you say, you know yeah. that's all it takes is turn and face God, and yeah. he, he will respond. Yeah. So he, you know, he sends, he puts on sackcloth, which is this uh, symbolic way of you know expressing repentance, and mm. and uh, and he goes into the temple of the Lord, and he sends he sends the messengers to to ask Isaiah to pray for them, and and of course Isaiah sends message sends the message that that God is going to save them. And and then we have again this uh, you know a, a little bit more of uh, this speech uh, because this time Sennacherib sends a message yes. uh, to Hezekiah king of Judah, uh, so he sends a letter and it says you know do not let the God you depend on deceive you. So th- this is it, the, the rhetoric here is definitely escalating. Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Man, it's just like, oh. now you actually. You know, now he's actually attacking God, God and saying God is lying to you. You know, this is not even twisting it anymore. This is just saying your God's lying to you. Oh man, like he's saying all these other nations have been dis- have, have been destroyed. Their gods haven't been able to save them, and your God's going to be no better. I mean, this yeah. is just a yep. you know direct challenge. So Hezekiah takes the letter into the temple. He, I love this imagery. Lays it out. Uh, but you know, think of, of a scroll here. Lays the scroll of this letter out uh, before the Lord, and Isaiah sends this sends this message that that they're going to be. Completely destroyed, and you have that uh, the, the oracle against you know this amazing language, and he says ultimately he will not enter this city. This is an amazing prediction of Isaiah down in uh, chapter thirty-seven, uh, verse thirty-three. It says yeah. he will not enter this city, talking about Sennacherib's army. He will not enter this city. He will not shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. That's yeah. what. That's the inevitable thing that they're that they're Gunner waiting team. for. That's actually not going to happen. Well, because they also declared that they were going to basically, you know, earlier they'd said that you're going to eat your own feces and yeah, drink your right. own urine because yeah. they were basically going to try to starve them out of the city. Basically, yeah, that's and right. So by the by the, that, by the way he came, he will return. return. He will not yep. enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend the city and I will save it uh, for my sake. Mm. That's the first thing, mm. and for the sake of David, my servant. And what he means by that is because I made a promise and I keep my promises. And I made a promise way back then to David, and I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep this promise um, that when my people turn to me, that oh, yeah. I would hear their prayer. Yes. You know, and so we have this amazing verse, one of the most amazing verses in the Old Testament. I'd say, Stu, verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. I mean, it's incredible, incredible verse. So that so Sennacherib withdraws and goes back, and it tells that it talks about his death uh, because he goes into the god of his temple, and this is probably at some later stage. This is probably yes. could be a couple of decades later because uh, it doesn't give the time. In fact, it was a couple of decades later. And the idea of recording this is because when he like Hezekiah went into the temple of 
his of God, God, and God saved him. Yes. Uh, Sennacherib goes yes, into the temple of his God, and he's struck down by his, by his by own sons. sons. So that that's you know that's the con. That's where that that's mm. where that finishes. Mm. So let's see who's God really. <clears throat> yeah, that's Sennacherib. right. That's right. So moving forward quickly, uh, Stu, and we'll, we'll we'll finish with this just yeah. this last uh, yeah. this last section. So uh, this is actually this actually goes in chronologically. This belongs earlier, but the point of putting this here is because. The question that begs here is, but 100 years later, the people still went into exile. So why was that? If God's able to save, why did they still uh, go into, uh, into exile? And, and in a way, Hezekiah's illness uh, is in a way symbolic because God said to him, you're going to die. But he prayed to God and God said, I'll give you more time. Yes. Now, Isaiah had said, He's going to destroy Israel, uh, Israel and Judah. In, in the earlier prophecies, very much this sense of you've disobeyed me, uh, judgment is coming. Yes. That was, that was yep. in the oracles, right? But yep. they're spared from judgment, right? Yes. And they're spared from judgment for another hundred years. They've got, they, they're given another hundred years, basically sort of extra life in the land, so to speak. Because why? Because of what has just come before. Because they cried out to God and God saved them from the Assyrians. And because of that act of deliverance, essentially they get uh, up until uh, around 600. This, is, this happens around 700, 700 BC. Yep. Remember, we're working backwards because yes. it's BC. Uh, and then and it's around 600 BC that you've got the Babylonian incursions, right? So they mm. get... Another hundred years, very much like Hezekiah in a way. So this is Hezekiah's extension of life is is similar in a way to their extension of life. Now the the, the interesting thing is one of the things that happens in Hezekiah's extension of life. Well, first of all, Manasseh's born. Yes, during that extension of life, yeah. Manasseh's going to be the worst of the worst of all of the kings of Judah. But secondly, he. So yes, you get this act of deliverance in that time as well, which that's great. But also you get this, you know, he's, he's sort of courting the favor of the Babylonians. The ba- well, actually the Babylonians who are constantly in rebellion against the Assyria. Assyrian. They're yeah. a city-state within the Assyrian Empire. And getting stronger. They're getting constantly. stronger and stronger and stronger. And and there are waves of rebellion, right? And at one point, uh, Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, says he sent Hezekiah letters and a gift. This is in chapter 39. Yeah. Because if he'd heard of his he'd, he'd heard of his illness and his recovery, right? So so even though this happened earlier, this kind of portends what? the disaster that's the coming, coming in the in, in the, the slightly more distant years. future yep. because Hezekiah I mean, this is a great honor, really, mm. for Hezekiah. He's thinking, man, the Babylonians, uh, they sent me a letter and, and they're asking about my health. And But, of course, the Babylonians need all the support that they can get, right? Yeah. So they're, you know, they're buttering Hezekiah up because they need Hezekiah to... Help. Again, the, the territory where Israel actually is, is this key highway, very narrow strip of land between the Assyrian Empire and yeah. Egypt, right? Yes. So you need... That, that, yeah, that you need access yeah. and and a bit of help from Hezekiah, uh, even though by world stands at this stage Hezekiah's king was not kingdom was not at all powerful, but they did have a very strategic strategic position. Yeah. So because of the strategic position, the king of Babylon sends these letters and sends envoys. Right? Wow! <laughs> this is an incredible. This really goes to Hezekiah's head, head at this yeah. stage. And and you know in in his pride, he shows them all the things in his palace. You know, mm. look how you know. Look how good I am. Uh, and of course, when the Assyrians do come, of course, he has to strip the palaces and <laughs> send, send, to, uh, send all that. Yeah. But 
he's confronted by Isaiah and Isaiah says, what did you show them? And mm. he says, I showed them all these envies, all the gold in my palace. Well, Isaiah says, well, you know, a, a day will come when those very people, the Babylonians, are going to carry off. Yeah, so again, it's like, don't trust in these people. Yeah. You know, do not trust in these people because they, you know, they, it's going to come back at you uh, one day. And so, you know, yet again, and, and uh, you know, to finish with this, Stu, you know, it's it's in this moment where he feels, oh, I've, you know, I've got Babylon on my side. I'm feeling really good. You know, it's this, that is actually what causes this lapse of faith. It's this, it's this lapse into pride. That really is going to become the downfall of the nation as, as a whole. And this, and we see, um, you know, we see Hezekiah make this lapse here. And of course, God still saves him in the end. And, and that's the, you know, when the Assyrians come, when he does cry, that doesn't disqualify him. But it just underscores the consistent message through this whole 39 chapters where God is pleading with this people just trust me, don't trust other things, trust me, and you will see that I am faithful. Hi there, Thrive Deeper listeners. I just want to highlight that we have restarted our Thrive Perspectives podcast series. Over the next four to five episodes, Matt, myself, and our good friend and critical thinker, Connell, will be exploring our worldview and how this informs every aspect of our lives, how we think, behave, what we see as our priorities and purpose in life. This is such a timely conversation in this day and age with so many influences and voices shouting at us for our attention. What does a Christian worldview look like and how do we live out our lives in this context? So join us at Thrive Perspectives as we explore our Christian worldview. You can find the Perspectives podcast at our website, thrivetoday.tv or at your favorite podcasting platform. 